6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. So Peter encourages readers uh, with a sure scriptural promise of ultimate victory for those who trust in Christ. That's not a surprise to this audience. Let's move on. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Here he's reconciling those two idioms, if you will. On the one hand, he's the stone which the builders disallowed. He's referring to the rejection by the Pharisees and whatever. And yet, he's now going to show up as the headstone of the corner. Now, this, 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 these verses present a sharp contrast between those who believe and those who do not. We do need to understand you're in one camp or the other. You know, the, the, the Paul speaks of Paul speaks of the that uh, the scriptures uh, foolishness to them who are to them who perish. You either perish or you don't perish. Do you believe the scripture or don't you? That's really it's a division. There isn't any gray. This is one of those binary digital situations. Those who believe and those who do not. There's a contrast. Christ is precious of ultimate value to those who believe. But if you don't believe, if you rejected Christ, you'll stumble because of disobedience. Now the second quotation that he uses here is from Psalm 118.22. And that's, I wanted to come back to this one because uh, this was he, Jesus himself. Peter was present when Jesus applied this verse to himself in Matthew 21. Uh, his rejection by the chief priests and Pharisees. Let's take a look at that. Matthew 21, starting about verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? He's quoting, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is, mar is, it, it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22. Jesus then explains, his quoting that verse from the Psalms, he says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. This is a shocking verse. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is being taken away from you, Israel, and given to others that will bring forth fruit. That's heavy stuff. Many people don't realize. Now, if you've been studying Matthew carefully, you know it's from chapter 12 that's when they rejected him from chapter 13 on in Matthew. He no longer speaks ex publicly except in parables, so they won't understand. And he explains those parables only in private to his disciples. You need to understand that to really understand what's going on in Matthew. But in any case, uh, here again he reiterates, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. He continues, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Have you been broken? Have you been fallen on the stone that... Uh, what is the stone here? Jesus Christ. Who shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but whomsoever, on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That's your choice. To fall on him and be broken? 
denying self, exchanging your life for his, or ultimately that stone will grind you to powder. That's what he's implying here, literally. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they, they perceived that he spake of them. Your comment on that is, no kidding, Dick Tracy. <laughs> when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his, his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love that. I love that. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They were pl plotting his death way back, even in chapter 12. They were not planning to take him on the Passover. Not on a feast day. That was their plan. But most people don't realize he forced their hand to take it that night at the Lord's Supper. He, said he announced that Judas was going to betray him. The cat was out of the bag. What Judas had to do, he had to do then or fish or cut bait. What they do is do quickly. He forced their hand. Why? Because he was on a schedule. Every detail from the Lord's Supper on in Gethsemane, everything, was, he was in control. That's a shock to discover. Study it yourself. Come to your own conclusions. Let's move on. Peter continues, verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, wherefore, whereunto also they were appointed. Wow. They were being disobedient. This is the third quotation from Isaiah 8.14. The rejection of Jesus Christ is fatal and is connected with the disobeying of the message of God's Word. To disobey the message is to reject it, and to obey it is to believe. And uh, obedience uh, in several places is obedient to faith. But uh, that's a very key concept. That's a very key concept. If you've rejected Jesus Christ, that can be fatal. All who do not receive Christ as their Savior will one day face Him as the judge. Because before Him every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And because of sin, all disobedient unbelievers are destined for a stumbling which will lead to eternal condemnation. You'd love to escape that truth. You can't. The Word of God is very clear on those issues. And by the way, one of the studies I commend to you, you might put in your notes, the term stone or rock in the Scripture, cover to cover, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, are idioms of the Holy Spirit throughout the Scripture, or uh, as it resident, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 10:4, the rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. Christ, the rock, smitten that the Spirit of life may flow from Him unto all who drink. That's the type of it from uh, Exodus 17:6. Where the rock was thrown, the water came out. 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul nails this and identifies it for you. John 4 and John 7, the, the, the river of life speeches deal with this. A second verse is chief cornerstone. To the church, this rock is the foundation and chief cornerstone. And so identified in Ephesians 2.20. To the Jews, at his first coming especially, it's a stumbling stone. And Paul deals with that in Romans 9, and Paul deals with 1 Corinthians 1. To Israel, on a national basis, at his second coming, it'll be the headstone of the corner. Wow. That'll be exciting. Zechariah 4, 7. I got seven of these, if you want to make a list. To the Gentile world, the Gentile world power, 
Who's in charge of that, by the way? Satan. The smiting stone, stone cut without hands. Remember in Daniel 2, the stone that was cut without hands. That was a supernatural stone, not cut with hands. And from the point of view of the divine purpose, that stone, after the destruction of the Gentile powers, is to grow and fill the whole earth. Remember in that image, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Daniel's interpreting for him. He had all these, he had this many metal images, gold, silver, brass, iron, iron mixed with clay. A stone smites it, and it all crumbles, blows away, and that stone cut without hands grows to be a mountain that fills the whole earth. The mountain is a government. There's going to be a fifth kingdom. You had four kingdoms there. Gold, silver, brass, and iron, right? Iron in two different kinds, but still iron. There's a fifth kingdom. The kingdom of, not God, that's everything, kingdom from heaven. Distinguishing term. Matthew makes a denotative term, kingdom from heaven, in contrast to the kingdom of God. Mark, Luke, and John use the term kingdom of God. Only one writer uses kingdom from heaven, that's Matthew. And it gets misunderstood, it's kingdom of heaven, you get confused. In the Hebrew and in German, of and from are the same word. It's the kingdom from heaven. It's on the earth. It has a capital. It's a tangible. It's a physical kingdom. It's like the others. It's the fifth in that series of five. And Jesus Christ is going to rule from a throne in, Jer in uh, Jerusalem. That's what Gabriel told Mary when he announced the birth, that he would sit on the throne of David. And that was predicted all through the scripture. So, this stone is going to destroy the Gentile world powers. It's going to grow and fill the whole earth. It's a global, worldwide, thousand-year reign that is distinguished by Satan being bound for those thousand years. Now, to the unbelievers, this same stone is a crushing stone of judgment that will grind them to powder. That's what Jesus pointed out to them in Matthew 21. So those seven elements, you can make more. Those are few. Okay, we've been... The, 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 Peter's first letter has three sections in it. The first section is what we've talked to till now. That's the first section of his letter. The second section is the sevenfold position we're going to deal with from the next verse through chapter part of chapter you know, through chapter four, and then the last part of the letter will be the last chapter, chapter five. So we've look, we've just gone through what uh, many uh, highlight as as the first section of the epistle. We're now going to move into the core of it. This has all been a warm up, okay? from verse 9 of chapter 2 through uh, chapter 4. So let's continue. But ye are a chosen generation. Did you realize that? Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Wow! If you really understand that biblically, being royal and being a priesthood are usually contradictions. That sounds like an oxymoron. No, no, no. Royal priesthood. Melchizedek, Christ, and the believer. A holy nation. A peculiar people. I think most of us realize we're a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He closes this portion, if you will, this previous section, by encouragement. And there's a moving exhortation here to practice holiness. He reminds them that in contrast with the disobedient who are destined for destruction, you are chosen people. You're to be distinguished from them. And uh, so he echoes the Old Testament, especially, this is a, really a quote from Isaiah 43.20. Chosen people, 
that used to apply just as the chosen people refers to Israel, to the Jews. Not anymore. That's what... Now here's Peter, whose mandate is to write to the Jews. Paul took the Gentiles, Peter took the Jews. So he's used to dealing with the Jews. But he's acknowledging here that you as Gentile believers are also now included in that term as being chosen. We, he chose us before we chose him. So, okay. There was a responsibility at one time entrusted totally to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. God told Moses to tell the people, quote, you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19.6. That was the mandate. But they had to hold themselves obedient to the law. Did they? No. They blew it. So that response focused, modified and focused on, on the Levitical priests. Now during this age of grace, the relationship has been given to the church. Believers in the church are called a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5, you recall, a royal priesthood here and also in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. It picks up on that same idea. A people belonging to God. That's you and I, non-Jewish, Gentiles, that we're talking about. That's, uh, that's all through the scripture too, of course. Now the Messiah himself was prophesied to be both a priest and a king. There's that contradiction in, a royal priesthood. The Messiah is our example. He is, and we are through him. That's, that's not New that's, that's Zechariah 6. And of course, echoed in, in uh, Hebrews 7 and, and Revelation, first chapter. Now some of these descriptions, let me give you a caution flag here. Some of these descriptions of the church are similar to the, uh, Israel, the descriptions of Israel in the Old Testament. But that does not mean the church replaces Israel. That's where people stumble and get confused. The fact that they're similar doesn't mean they're the same. Similarity does not mean identity. Okay? And so uh, uh, there are national blessings that have been promised to Israel that are not the churches, they're Israel's, and they will be fulfilled. The church and Israel have different origins, different missions, different destinies. You need to understand that. Keep those distinct. But there are some parallels, and that's what we're seeing here. That ye should, why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. How do you show forth praises? By our walk. That's our most important witness. Not the tracks we pass out, our walk. God's purpose in choosing believers for himself so that they may declare his praises of him before others. Now the word praises here could be translated eminent qualities, excellencies, or virtues. It's the quality of your life, the quality of your walk that is your primary manner of showing forth praise to the God that calls you. Mahatma Gandhi was asked what's the, what, what he felt was the biggest barrier to Christianity in India. His answer was Christians. The way Christians behave is a block to many that would otherwise be won over because they see the hypocrisy, the foolishness, the lack. They, they, they make extraordinary claims living ordinary lives. No, that's not what the deal is. Believer priests should be lived so that their Heavenly Father's qualities are evident in their lives. They're to serve as witnesses of the glory and grace of God who call them what? Out of darkness into light. Does your walk, does your personal life demonstrate to your neighbors and friends that you've been called out of darkness into light? It's supposed to. Now Peter explains this in his next figure. He's going to quote from Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. 
But ye are a chosen uh, 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 generation, a royal priest, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Darkness here refers to the time when readers were pagans. When the readers of Peter's letter were pagans. Ignorant of God's provision of salvation. When they were not a people, they had not received mercy. In other words, in, in Hosea, it makes that difference. You're not my people. The marvelous light illumines the people of God because they have received him. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, and now have obtained mercy. Practice of holiness in which God's people serve as holy and royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice and extolling his excellencies, is the proper response to the mercy they've received. So it should be offering spiritual sacrifice of a life. Your life should be your sacrifice to manifest the God that called you. Now in the next section here that we're getting into, the specific ways Christians should behave differently before the world as citizens, as slaves, and as wives, and as husbands. Citizens, slaves, wives, and husbands. And uh, even in familiar situations, their conduct should be discernibly different. Any situation you find yourself in, the most routine, routine should manifest a distinction that would be discerned by the unbeliever. That's quite, a, that's quite an issue. Is it manifest? 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I beseech you as strangers. That's one of the first questions we should be asking ourselves. Do we really behave as strangers or are we earth dwellers? In the scripture, you'll notice there's a contrast. Abraham... His citizenship wasn't of this world. He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And the book of Revelation contrasts the earth dwellers who are the ones that are dwelling on the earth. We're, we're not. We're just passing through. So the, uh, those who are loved by God are exhorted to live as strangers. or The word is actually aliens. Perikos, which is uh, those who live in a place that is not their home. And it's used, of course, figuratively here of Christians whose real home is in heaven. And pilgrims, strangers in the world is the idea here. I hope that's, you know, that's easily said, but do we really live that way? You know, I find myself, um, with all the changes going on in our country, hard to let go of our heritage. I spent 30 years in the strategic arena. And uh, uh, what I used to regard as patriotism, I now look back as a form of idol worship. It's very, very, uh, very, very, you know, when I was a kid, Boy Scouts, it was God and country. You didn't have to choose between them. And now we find ourselves increasingly having to be more discerning. And uh, now, no one is really a pilgrim in the biblical sense who has not first become a stranger to this world. Are you a stranger to this world? You know, as a practicing executive and a builder of companies and whatever, I spent 30 years in the public boardroom. Uh, I was very much trying to stay in tune with what I regard as the real world, the world of business and corporations. And, and uh, yes, I taught Bible studies and held Christ as my Savior, and yet uh, I look back and realize that it took me a while to really be estranged from the world as such. And so, uh, so just as our Christian values and beliefs are rejected, and increasingly so by the world, 
So we are supposed to live apart from immorality and sinful desires that surround them. There's a whole standard practice among many we need to shun, stay away from, put distance from. We are to abstain from fleshly lusts. And uh, what the Greek uh, term actually says is to hold oneself constantly back from. And uh, we are to uh, resist the sinward pull of worldly desires, which war against the spiritual lives. Covetousness and all kinds. Abstain from fleshly lusts. You know, you never cast out the flesh, do we? You can cast out demons, you can cast out Satan, you can fight him in many ways. You can't, the, 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 the flesh stays with us. It's a continual battle that doesn't cease. And uh, this is a real spiritual battle. And uh, the demon, demonic strategies attack believers at their weakest point. And I might amend that slightly. I suspect it also attacks us at our strongest point. What was Peter's strongest point? Boldness, right? And yet it was that boldness that got him in trouble. Again and again. Having your conversation, now bear in mind, this is the old English term conversation, which really we would use the term today of behavior. Today, conversation to us just means talk. The original Old English word meant our whole way of life. Having your conversation, your whole, the way you conduct yourself. Have it honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now the negative exhortation of the previous verse is now followed by a positive instruction. You're not only supposed to abstain from sinful desires, uh, not only for your own spiritual well-being, but also in order to maintain an effective testimony. So your abstaining from freshly lust has to do not just for your own welfare, but for your witness to others. And to maintain a positive testimony. A positive Christian lifestyle is a powerful means of convicting the world of its sin. And the most powerful indictment of Christianity by the Muslims is our sinfulness. They would make a pretense of being, you know, they don't, staying away from alcohol and certain kind of practice, they would argue, they would try to advance that as a, a means of conviction. Well, there's some legitimacy in those, in those indictments. Because the Christian world, Christian lifestyle, tragically isn't as distinct as it should be. Having your, your, your conversation honest. The word good here is used twice in the same word, uh, both their lives and their works. See, it's, you have your conversation honest is having your, your, your life uh, good, in a word, and your works good. It's, it's actually the same word in the Greek in both places there. Before the critical eyes of slanderous people and their false accusations, the good deeds of believers can glorify God. People can make all the lies they want about you. If you're living a demonstrably pure life, that's the best rebuttal you can give. In the day of visitation, this is speaking of God's presence among men. The office, place, service, office of bishop. The time of your visitation is also Luke 19, 44. 
they had their time of visitation when they had the chance to accept him while he rode that donkey into Jerusalem. And he wept over them because they had rejected him. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. See, Christians are responsible to obey the law. You may not like the law, but part of your witness is to obey the law. A good friend of mine had a very active ministry, but uh, is serving in prison for tax evasion. And uh, it's interesting, many of us who are his friends tried to warn him that he's fighting the wrong battle. Jesus was confronted with a tax that he didn't need to pay. He asked Peter, is it residents or strangers that this tax is for? Well, not strangers. I mean, they were residents. Nevertheless, go to this fish, get a coin, pay it, keep the peace. Many people missed the point. That was not a tax they were liable for. They could have missed that, skipped that one. They paid it so they'd be without reproach. That doesn't mean you have to pay taxes you're not eligible for, but you certainly do need to pay the taxes you are eligible for, and to fight those things is to fight the wrong battle. How tragic. Christians are responsible to obey the law. Because the laws are good? No. They may not be. But that's part of your conduct. Every ordinance of man. And so... Peter exhorted his readers to abide by governmental laws, to submit to every ordinance of man. And uh, here it's literally the institution or creation of the law, and it's made by man. A human, human, these are human laws. We're not talking about God's laws here. He's focusing on the ordinance of men. Keep off the grass, whatever. The, moti the motivation for obedience is not avoiding punishment. It's for the Lord's sake. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.